0: This morning, together, we're going to continue in our series on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be talking about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So let's open up in our Bibles to Acts chapter 4 for that. Acts chapter 4 in your Bibles. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, as I woke up this morning, I was immediately aware of The desperate need that we have to be filled in the Holy Spirit and the wonderful gift that we have that God would fill us with his spirit. I woke up realizing that I had to preach this morning, which always makes me desperate and causes me to cry out to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But Kate and I were talking this morning in bed and, you know, my son is 12 now and we've got some issues that we need to discipline him with today. New territory because he's a preteen, so it's like brand new stuff for us. So we were just crying out for wisdom. Lord, we need you to fill us with your Holy Spirit that we could be faithful parents today. I hope you're not shocked to hear that pastors' kids need discipline too. (laughs) Hope that doesn't surprise you. And then, man, you know, and then we prayed for Kate because uh, she got asked by a, a lady in our community who's not a Christian yet, whose daughter was just diagnosed with cancer, who's in the hospital this morning she got asked by that lady to come and visit her and the child in the hospital and pray for them and minister to them. And man, we haven't, we haven't been back in the cancer ward since Daisy died four months ago. And Kate was really intimidated by that. And we just were so desperate for the filling of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is real life, nitty gritty stuff. And God gives us real powerful, awesome provision in the person of the Spirit. It's beautiful. So this is an important teaching this morning. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have not left us powerless, but you have sent your promise, the person of the Spirit, to be in us and to come upon us, to be with us, to help us and comfort us and strengthen us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, sometimes life is tough. Sometimes life is wonderful. But we are always in need of being filled with your spirit. Thank you for such a gift, such a provision, such a promise. I pray that in, the, in your word this morning, it would be real clear, both our need and your provision. And so Holy Spirit, you whom Christ said is a teacher of all things, please come and convict us of our need for more of you. And then give us faith to believe that the the Father gives to us as we need of you. Please anoint us with ears to hear and a mind to comprehend, a heart to respond. And please, Lord, anoint me to communicate your truth in a way that destroys the work of the enemy and exalts Jesus Christ and moves the kingdom of God forward in our cities. We ask this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well last week of course we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and we talked about that difference between the in experience of the Spirit for the believer and the upon experience of the Spirit for the believer and it was quite a wonderful experience for us in response to the teaching many of you prayed to be baptized in the Spirit many of you had hands laid on you to be baptized in the Spirit. You laid hands on other people. Some of you began to speak in tongues as you were baptized in the Spirit, like real-life Bible, creepy, crazy stuff. Some of you began to prophesy. Some of you simply received it by faith because it's a fact of what God's Word says, and that's as wonderful and as beautiful and as profound. But it was some real stuff happening. I've talked to many of you this week whose lives were changed this week when the Holy Spirit came upon you with power. Others of you weren't quite buying it. And that's okay. Today's message will be helpful to you as it'll be helpful to the rest of us as well. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Is it really necessary? What should the experience look like? Well, Let's start with Jesus, a good place to start. Last week we talked about the fact that in Luke chapter 3, Jesus is there while John is baptizing people, and John himself, or Jesus himself, excuse me, was baptized in water. And then the Holy Spirit came upon him. Says in Luke chapter 3, the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove, and then there was a voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So the Messiah at the beginning of his ministry had the issue of power and the issue of identity settled at that moment. The Holy Spirit came upon him for power, and the Father said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, identity. Each of us needs that same experience as Christians who are endeavoring to live life on mission. And the result was this. We read subsequent to that in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led about by or in the Spirit in the wilderness. And then it says in the 14th verse of Luke 4, And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. That thing that we talked about is being analogous to the believer being baptized in the Spirit. The result was that Jesus was full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit and then began to move in the power of the Spirit. And that's where we start to see in the Gospel accounts, Jesus performing these wonderful miracles, healing people, casting out demons, speaking and teaching with authority, raising the dead, walking on water, feeding the multitudes, all of that stuff in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're told concerning Jesus that he was given the Spirit without measure, John chapter 3. Okay, so Jesus had the the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And we're also told in John chapter 1 that the Spirit rested upon him. So in the life of Jesus, because he was given the fullness of the Spirit, and because he was without sin, we understand that, and the Spirit remained upon him, there wasn't a need in the life of Jesus for subsequent repeated fillings with the Holy Spirit. But we do have that need. We have not been given the Spirit without measure. Why? Perhaps we could not handle it nor does the Spirit remain upon us in the same way that it remained upon Jesus. Why? We'll discuss that momentarily. But we have a need to be filled repeatedly with the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're told that expressly in Scripture, that the filling of the Spirit is not a one-time event for the Christian, but it is a repeated event that is to happen over and over again in the life of the believer. And when it happens, it may involve momentary empowering for things such as ministry and mission, spiritual warfare, perseverance and suffering, relational wholeness and sanctification, which we'll get to next week, and comfort and joy in trials. So there are these momentary empowerings, momentary supplies, but it may also involve long-term character, that there is a, a transformation at the deep character level of the man or woman who is walking and being continuously filled in the Holy Spirit. And we'll get to that part of it next week. What launched us in this whole thing of a study of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit was Ephesians 5.18, where the Paul the Apostle says, in the context of difficult times, he says, when you're facing difficult days, When the days are evil, he said in Ephesians 5. Verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine. That's dissipation or a waste. As the NLT says, that will only ruin your life. Rather, be filled with the Holy Spirit. When times are hard and you need to go somewhere, don't go to the bottle, go to the Spirit. Don't put yourself in control of some sort of substance, put yourself in control of the person, the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine when times are hard. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, there's some interesting language issues there. Pleirao, the Greek verb, to be filled. Paul uses it there in the present tense. It means this, that we are to be continually being filled. Okay, that's a, that's a literal perfect translation. Be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. Be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then... When you look at the Greek grammar, you realize it's in the imperative, which means it's a command. It's not an indicative. It's not a statement of fact. It's a command. We are commanded to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, if you knew the Greek, which none of us do, including me, I just read this somewhere, it's in the passive voice, which means it's not something that you do for yourself. It's something that is done to you. So look at this juxtaposition. We are commanded to be continually filled with the Spirit, but we can't do it for ourselves. God has to fill us. We're to pursue it. God supplies it. It's not optional to pursue. We are to pursue continually being filled with the Spirit, and it is God who fills us according to the need and His sovereignty. So every Christian is called to this. Now, backing up for a moment to last week. You may have disagreed with last week's theological perspective of the juxtaposition between the inexperience of the Spirit for the believer and the upon experience. The idea that there is a second experience of being baptized in the Spirit for the believer. That's fine if you disagreed with that. Many faithful, intelligent, Spirit-filled believers don't have that perspective. That's okay. That's not something that we would ever divide over. You do get that, right? It's not something that we would ever divide over. But perhaps even more importantly, in in many ways, truly, in the most important way, it's a moot point. Because the end result is the same. See, the baptism of the Holy Spirit causes us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1 and 2. The command for every believer is to be continually being filled with, with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. So we could disagree on the timing and the terminology, but the end game is the same. As a point of nuance, we might theologically want to say that the initial time that the Holy Spirit comes upon you is called baptism with the Holy Spirit, and every repeated subsequent filling that happens after is merely called being filled with the Spirit, but that's a nuance, who cares? salient point is God knows that you need the Spirit. God knows what you need when we don't know what we need. We may not have all the theological framework or the terminology. We may not agree upon it, but we need the power and the person of the Holy Spirit, and your Father wants to give them to you. So it's enough to come and say, Daddy, I need, please supply. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. But allow me to complicate it a little bit more. What we know for sure is that every Christian is to be repeatedly, continually, frequently filled in the Spirit. Let me demonstrate that to you from the book of Acts. Here in Acts chapter 4, where you're opening your Bible, we read this in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Now we'll get to what he said to whom in a moment. But notice that Peter is being filled with the Holy Spirit, Literally, literally having just been filled. Peter, having just been filled. Now, Take note that the day of Pentecost had already happened. Acts 1, Acts 2. The baptism had been promised. They're in a prayer meeting together, 120 believers. The Spirit comes upon them, and it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter had already been filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we see him, just two chapters later, being filled with the Spirit again. There was great effect the previous time, The one who previously ran when someone identified him as being with Jesus, now preached about the risen Christ. 3,000 were saved that day. There's radical transformation, radical empowering for Peter. In fact, in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. And there's a man begging at the entrance of the temple. And Peter looks down at him and says... Gold and silver I have not, but what I have I give unto you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk and grabs his arms and pulls him to his feet. The guy had been lame since he was born, and he walked and began to leap and praise God. So there's like radical, radical stuff going on when these guys were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when people saw that this man who they knew to be lame his whole life was suddenly walking around healed, They were astounded. And so Peter takes the opportunity to preach Jesus again, which is what he's doing at the closing of chapter 3. And then we pick it up here in chapter 4, verse 1. And as they, Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. I want you to notice, trouble has come to the church. Like, can you imagine if I was preaching and someone came in and arrested me and put me in jail? That's exactly what happens right here. And this is not like low-power guys. These are the same people that are responsible for Christ being crucified just a couple months before. Okay, so everything was amazing. Holy Spirit comes upon him. The guy gets healed. 3,000 people get saved when Peter preaches. Oh my gosh, this is awesome. And then wham, trouble comes. Peter's arrested for preaching. Verse four, but many of those who had heard the message believed. You see, you could put a man in prison, but you can't stop the word of God. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Now they got got megachurch on their hands. Okay, In just a few days, it's gone from 3,000 to 5,000. Verse 5, And it came about the next day that the rulers and the elders, the scribes, were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the, highest priest, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. Okay, this is a big deal. This is a big deal in Israel. Peter's in serious trouble. And when they had placed him in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Referring to the healing of the lame man. Then Peter, having just been filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, <laughs> This is not a timid Peter. This is post-Pentecost Peter. Whom God raised from the dead. By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is a stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Now, here's what's going on. This is a subsequent filling to the initial baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's an individual filling. On the day of Pentecost, the whole gathered church was filled. It was a corporate filling. Here we have an individual filling, right? Right? The need was that Peter had the opportunity to be faithful to Christ in the time of trouble. You know what that's like. You have those same opportunities in your life. Trouble comes to all of our lives. You don't have to be an apostle. You don't have to be a pastor a preacher or a missionary, or anything like that. Trouble comes to all of our lives. Trouble comes to our relationships. And we have a choice. Am I going to be faithful to Jesus or not? You need the power of the spirit of that. Trouble comes in our parenting. Am I going to be faithful to Christ? Trouble comes in our business transactions. Am I going to be faithful to Christ or not? You need the Holy Spirit for that. Trouble comes in every realm of life. That's all that's going on with Peter here. His life was different. His example is unique. But we all have trouble that comes to our lives, even when stuff was previously hunky-dory. And there's always an opportunity to be faithful to Jesus in the midst of trouble. In fact, trouble is that opportunity. That's what it is. An opportunity to be faithful to Christ. And for faithfulness to Christ, we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so Peter, having just been filled with the Spirit, made this faithful proclamation. Now, what were the results? Well, he had power, obviously. Boldness, obviously. But he had Christ-likeness. Notice in verse 13. It says the religious leaders recognize that they are untrained and uneducated men. Okay, so number one, there was something going on here that was beyond their natural ability. Okay, can we just say it? The filling of the Holy Spirit is supernatural. It is supernatural empowering to meet overwhelming needs. Do you have overwhelming needs in your life? God has supernatural power for you. Okay, uneducated, untrained men, but something supernatural is happening here. And then, most importantly, it says, and they begin to recognize them as having been with Jesus. The only way that Peter, when Jesus was crucified, was recognized as having been with him was by his Galilean accent. Now it is by the aroma of Christ coming from his life. There is some intangible semblance to the person of Jesus now in Peter and in John. And that is what happens when we're continually filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the person, the aroma, the beauty of Christ, and it begins to ooze forth from our lives. Have you ever met a man or a woman who was filled with the Spirit continuously, and you said, "I, I don't know what it is, but Jesus is so awesome in them. That's what it is. Have you ever had the experience where you come to church or a gathering of the believers and there's this thing where you're like, I just just love this because there's just this, I don't know what it is. Listen, it is the Holy Spirit manifesting the sweetness and wonder and glory of the person of Christ by filling his people as they gather. And so as we gather, then there is that aroma of Christ in our midst, which is holiness, beauty, power, humility, grace, authority, all those wonderful things about Jesus. The Holy Spirit manifests those in the church and in our lives through continual filling. That's what was going on with Peter. Now, the story develops further if you look in toward the end of Acts chapter 4. The church is further threatened by the religious leaders. Okay? Okay. And so, so now a degree of fear comes upon the church. Because remember, these religious leaders are the same ones that were able to get the Messiah nailed to a cross. So these are not futile men. This, this is heavy-duty stuff. I mean, these guys are in real trouble. So now they hold a prayer meeting. Okay? Good thing to do when you're in trouble. And we pick it up in verse 29, in the middle of the prayer meeting, Acts 4:29. The church is praying and says, And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that thy bondservants may speak thy word with all confidence, while you extend your hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak the word of God with boldness. Pause right there for a moment. I want you to notice. This now is a corporate filling. The church is praying together and they're in desperate need. They're afraid and they're threatened. And in response to their prayers, God fills all of them with the Holy Spirit again. A subsequent, repeated, corporate, whole church filling of the Holy Spirit. The need was perseverance in the face of persecution. Okay, we we all get that. We understand that, that happens in your life. It doesn't look necessarily like it it does in the book of Acts, but, but that happens in your life. When you're persecuted for doing the right thing or you're persecuted for believing the right thing. You see, we don't experience a lot of that in America, but let me tell you something. In the coming decade, we are going to experience a lot of that in America. It was common in the church in the first century It's common with our brothers and sisters in places like China, Indonesia, the Middle East, North Africa. They experience that sort of persecution for what they believe, what they say, what they do all the time. It is coming to the church in America because some of the things that we believe are now being said to be on the wrong side of history. some of the things that we believe and some of the things that we will say are now against the law of the land. But truth will never ultimately be on the wrong side of history. But we will be persecuted. We are going to have the opportunity to experience what Jesus talked about when he said, Believe me, the world will hate you. We're going to be able to identify with our brothers and sisters around the world in a new way in the church in America if we choose to be faithful to Christ in the time of trouble. And may I say, we're going to have to love more deeply than we've ever loved before and look more like the church than we've ever looked before. How do we do that? The filling of the Holy Spirit. Look at the results of the church being filled with the Spirit, verse 32. And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power, the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And abundant grace was upon them all. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would distribute to each as any one of them had need. The effects, the results of the church being filled with the Spirit in this instance were unity, power, power grace, and generosity. You know, that's one of the accusations that is often, often leveled against the church, and particularly the church in America, Is there's no unity in the church. Right? They look and they see all the infighting and the backbiting, but when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church, it says they were of one heart and one soul. There was deep, deep unity. Listen to me, brothers and sisters, whom I love. Unity does not mean homogeny. It doesn't mean that we have to believe the same way in every detail or act the same way all the time. What unifies us is that we are all men and women who were guilty of sin and have been saved from hell by the person of Jesus Christ according to grace. And that is enough. That is enough. What unites us is infinitely more wonderful than anything that could ever divide us. But you see, we're frail, selfish, mean people, and so we need the Holy Spirit to fall upon us that we might be made, as Christ prayed, of one heart and one soul. Not only was the church unified when the Spirit came upon them and filled them, but there was power. It says the apostles had power. There was power in the church. It wasn't vacant gathering. It wasn't vain rambling. There was real power and anointing to what was happening. Beyond that, there was abundant grace. I don't know exactly what that means in this context, but I'm pretty sure we need it. And then finally, there was astounding generosity. Okay, this is when the church starts being the church. This is when people are gonna listen to what we have to say. The church there was filled with the Holy Spirit and they said, you know what? There's not gonna be a single person among us that has a need and continues in that need. We're gonna meet everyone's needs. We're gonna take care of each other and we're going to take care of other people. That was the testimony of the church. Astounding generosity. They weren't just taking care of each other. Acts chapter 6, they were feeding everybody that was in need. They were overwhelmed with the needs of people to be fed. When the church starts looking like this, unity, power, grace, and astounding generosity, when our demonstration is louder than our proclamation though both are needed then we have something to offer to the world more now than ever we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to have faithful demonstration to back up our proclamation because we are saying things that are unacceptable in culture we had better live like we mean it we desperately need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then there's a wonderful promise for those of us that will experience persecution from Peter, 1 Peter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised. He's talking about persecution. At the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Now look at this promise. So be happy. When you are insulted for being a Christian, That happens to you. Then the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. There is some unique promise for difficult times of the spirit remaining upon us. We need that now more than ever. Look at another example of a subsequent repeated feeling in Acts chapter 7. Please turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 7. We turn up the heat here slightly because what we have now is the first martyrdom in the church, okay? Stephen, who's a wonderful man. We'll talk about him next week. Stephen, a deacon in the church. Stephen is being martyred for believing in and preaching Christ. That's hard for us to get our minds around. How many of you have been martyred? Duh, trick question. Nobody in this room. But there are over 100,000 Christians this year that will be martyred for their belief in Jesus Christ around the world. But this is far from home for most of us. So how might we think about this to kind of bring it down to our level? Let's just call this when good people experience bad things. Nobody's really good, so it's a bad, bad way of saying it. But when really tough stuff happens to fine and decent people, Stephen was a really great guy. He's preaching, and he's brought on the condemnation and the trouble of the religious leaders. So we pick it up in verse 54 of Acts 7. Now, when they heard this of religious leaders, they were cut to the quick and began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he said behold i see the heavens opened up and the son of man standing at the right hand of god but they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and they rushed upon him with one impulse and when they had driven him out of the city they began stoning him and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named saul later to become the apostle paul he's got blood on his hands and when they and they went on stoning stephen As he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling upon his knees, because he's being pelted with stones this size, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he died. Here we have an example of an individual filling. The need is in just suffering. This happens to us, not on this level, but we understand this. We suffer and there are people that near to us that suffer senselessly, disease, tragedies, accidents, injustice. The results are comfort, strength, and grace. Okay, strength. You can see his strength as he's being martyred. He's praying for his persecutors. Comfort. I can think of no greater comfort in the worst moments of life than what Stephen experienced. He said, I see the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. When he was filled with the Holy Spirit in his tremendous time of pain and suffering and need, he had a vision that would bring tremendous comfort. On the night that my daughter died, four months ago, she died in her sleep shortly after two in the morning. And not long before she took her last breath, which my wife Kate and I heard, our heads were right next to hers. As she slept, we heard her say the words, That's awesome. I believe that what happened for Stephen and his most dire moment happened for Daisy. That as both of them stared eternity in the face, the Father in his wonderful grace pushed back the curtains and showed them his glory and their Savior. I can think of no greater comfort. In fact, Stephen was so comforted that it allowed him to operate in a tremendous amount of graciousness, having been filled with the Spirit. What do I mean? I mean that he said, God, don't hold this sin against them. Who says that in the face of the murderers? Who says that in that moment? The only way he was able to say that is because he was filled with the Spirit, which is to be filled with the person of Christ who himself, when he was stretched upon the cross, said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so we have this promise in Romans for difficult times, this prayer rather. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what was going on there. Abundant provision from God in the worst moments of life. I want you to see another example of a subsequent filling in Acts chapter 13. This one having to do with spiritual warfare. Acts chapter 13. We will pick it up in verse 1. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Mananaim, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them out. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they had reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John, that is John Mark, as their helper. Verse 6. And when they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, they found a certain magician. Here's where it gets creepy. A Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus. Right? This is getting creepy. Wake up. Don't sleep. Verse 7. Who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for thus his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from faith. Okay, so there's somebody in their lives now, in their realm of influence, who wants to hear about Jesus. And they're experiencing opposition from a creepy place. A magician, a Jewish false prophet, named Son of Jesus, is opposing them. They're seeking to see people saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there's opposition to that mission. Mission will always draw opposition. So look what happens in the face of opposition, verse 9. But Saul, who is also known as Paul, having just been filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze upon him and said, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, you will, not call, you will not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Here we have a subsequent individual filling of the Holy Spirit. Paul had already been baptized in the Holy Spirit when Ananias had laid hands on him in Acts chapter 9. Now he's sent out on mission by the calling of the Holy Spirit as the church laid hands on him, and there's opposition to the mission. There's a great moment of need. You know what opposition to the mission looks like you know what it looks like in your life when you're trying to represent Jesus Christ? Through proclamation and demonstration, when you're trying to explain and expose to the world around you what it looks like to know and enjoy Jesus, when you're trying to help others do that, you know what opposition looks like. There's help in that time of need. Paul, having just been filled with the Holy Spirit, Individual filling, the need was opposition and spiritual warfare. The results were the enemy was exposed, the enemy was confronted, and the plans of the enemy were thwarted. And the purposes of Christ carried the day. And a man believed in Jesus. You see, the Spirit helps us as we endeavor to live life on mission for the glory of God when we face opposition. He helps us by filling us with the Holy Spirit. He helps us by gifting. What Paul was operating here in is something called the gift of the discerning of spirits. We'll talk about it in a few weeks. We're able to discern. You just know supernaturally if something is from the flesh, the enemy, or the Lord, and how to deal with it if it's the enemy or the flesh. We know that Jesus also dealt with spiritual warfare and the power of the Spirit. It says in Luke chapter 4 that when the devil tempted him, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 12, I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. And we know that every single believer has been given the sword of the Spirit for the day of opposition and warfare against the enemy of our souls. Now, listen to me. Warfare happens in all of our lives. Some of us need to learn to recognize it. Don't sleep. Mike, wake up. Some of us need to learn to recognize it. Some of us need to realize that you will experience opposition to the same degree that you engage in mission. Some of you are kind of oblivious to the spiritual warfare in your life because you are not in any way living for the glory and the purposes of Jesus Christ. You're just living for yourself. You are your own opposition. To the degree that we are willing... To live for the glory of Jesus and live life on mission for him, we will experience opposition and warfare. Now listen to me. That does not mean that you need to be a Peter or a Paul or a pastor or a preacher or a missionary or work at a church. This is true for moms who are on mission with their children. This is true for business people who are on mission in commerce. This is true for students who are on mission in their schools. This is true for professional surfers who are on mission on the world tour. This is true for every man, woman, and child filled with the Spirit of God endeavoring to live life for the glory of God. We will encounter opposition to the truth of God. And in that, we simply have provision of the power and the person of the Holy Spirit coming upon us to expose and thwart the plans of the enemy. That's what's happening here. Now, in all of these examples of repeated subsequent fillings with the Holy Spirit, the immediate needs varied. The context was different, but the end result was always the same. Faithful witness for Jesus. That was always the end result, the filling of the Holy Spirit. All of these needs occur in your life daily. The same stuff. It looks different than it did in Acts, but all of you experience, as I said, spiritual warfare. All of you need comfort in the times of suffering. We all need perseverance when bad things happen. We all have opportunities to testify for Jesus when trouble comes. No matter what you do, where you work, or who you know. But what was present in all of these examples, once again, was that each one of these people had a true desire to be faithful to and used by Christ. And every Christian is called to live life on mission. As who you are, where you are, in what you do with who you know right now. You don't need to get on a plane. You don't need to join something. As who you are, in what you do, where you are, With who you know, right now you are a sent person by the Spirit of God to live life on mission. To the degree that you are endeavoring to be obedient to that is the same degree to which you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you don't know Jack Cheese about being filled with the Holy Spirit because your life is lived for your own glory, your own pleasure, and your own will. You don't need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to repent. My favorite theologian, Wayne Grudem, described being filled with the Spirit this way. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with the immediate presence of God Himself. And it therefore will result in feeling what God feels, desiring what God desires, doing what God wants, speaking by God's power, praying and ministering in God's strength, and knowing with the knowledge that God Himself gives. Now, it's not as though there's just one overarching decision. I want to live for the glory of God and everything goes that way. We get confronted with our self-orientedness day in and day out. And it's at these moments where we need to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. For example, in my life, it's often when I'm going home from work and it's been a hard day and I'm spent and I'm tired, that I know that I'm going to walk through the door and I need to love and care for my wife and I got a 12-year-old son looking me in the face that wants to spend time with me, who wants to be heard and listened to, wants to be played with, and I'm spent and I don't want to do any of those things. Here's my prayer. God, forgive me of my selfishness And fill me with your Holy Spirit to love my wife and son this afternoon. The most frequent prayer prayed in my life is God, please forgive me for that sin. Usually has to do with selfishness. And then the second most frequently prayed prayer is now fill me with your Holy Spirit to live in otherness for your glory and for the betterment of other people see, we need to pray this prayer, fill me with your Holy Spirit, when we wake up in the morning, when it's time to get the kids ready for school, when it's time to school the kids, when it's time to listen to our spouses, when we're going on a date with our boyfriends or girlfriends, when we're in the classroom, when we're going to work, when we're doing business transactions, when we're coming home from work, in the evening, when we're spent, when we want to go tune out on the TV or when we want to run to alcohol, Paul says, rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every one of us knows what it's like to be just caught in self and just need to just flesh out. I get that. I do that. But Scripture is saying there's a better way. There's power on tap to live a different life and that is the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's where I finish. Why why do we need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit? Is it that we leak? Are we leaky? Are we crackpots in some way? Why do we need to be filled over and over? Well, it's hard to say. Some would want to phrase it like this. Well, it's not really how much of the Spirit you have. It's how much of you the Spirit has. Okay, That's true. That's absolutely true. And I believe that one of the preconditions for being filled with the Holy Spirit is being willing to surrender our will. Okay, the Spirit is always looking for more of us. But that's not what we're talking about in being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're talking about God filling us. Yes, God does want more of us, but we're not talking about God getting more of us necessarily. We're talking about us getting more of the presence and the power of God. It's not either or, it's a both and. That's what Paul was talking about in Ephesians 5.18. Don't be controlled by alcohol. Be controlled by the Spirit. Give Him more of you, and you need more of Him. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure then why we need to be refilled. I don't think it's an issue of leakage. I think it's an issue of grieving. See, Scripture is clear that we can grieve the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit, He will withdraw some degree of blessing, anointing, power, presence. We don't lose the Holy Spirit in us, that's absolutely secure for the life of the believer always. But we lose some of that experience of the Spirit upon us, that, that fresh empowering and anointing, that Christ aroma. I mean, it just makes sense. We're going in waywardness. We're persisting in our sins. Are we really expecting a filling of Christ aroma? No, the first prayer is, I, I, I repent, Lord, and then fill me, Lord. We see what's evident from the New Testament is that the Holy Spirit can be grieved, Ephesians 4, quenched, 1 Thessalonians 5, resisted, Acts 7, insulted, Hebrews 10, and lied to, Acts 5, by Christians. And it seems that if we grieve, quench, resist, insult, and lie to the Holy Spirit by the way that we're living, there's going to be some sort of removal of that power and presence and beautiful aroma of the person of Christ. So what do we do with that? We repent continually. The first prayer that we pray, the most frequent prayer we pray is, God, forgive me. And then fill me with your Holy Spirit to live a different way. Now, I think that not being an issue of leakage, but being an issue of grieving, then the the flip side of that coin is, and here's where I really finish is when our conduct is pleasing to God, the Holy Spirit will be more present and bring more blessing. It's not that it's a performance issue, it's a witness issue. It's not that the Holy Spirit is a reward for holy living. Rather, he is a supply for the one who desires to live holy. So we're endeavoring to live holy, we're going to receive empowerings from the person of the Holy Spirit. And that is called fellowship with the Spirit. The New Testament says we can have deep, intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Look at the summary statement of the church in Acts, Acts 9. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. And again in Acts 13, and the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And here's my prayer for us. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here's how you respond. What is your need? Where do you need the Spirit's power in your life? Where is the dissonance? Where do you need to surrender or repent? You might begin to get in the place of the Spirit. What needs to be dealt with? And then ask, Jesus assured us that the Father wants to give us the Holy Spirit. Ask for more than you've ever had. God's present for that today. Let's do that now. Father, thank you for this glorious promise and this wonderful provision. And pray now as we worship and we pray and we seek you, I pray, Father, that you would send the Holy Spirit we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would illumine the dark places of our heart, the places of rebellion, the places of self-orientedness, the places that we're refusing to submit. Expose them graciously, wonderfully. Because you love us, show us those things. Give us a grace to repent. And then give us the faith to ask that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit to live in a different way, in a bigger way, it's for your glory and your purposes, and not just for ourselves. Give us faith now in this room as we lay hands on one another, as a prayer team is up here ready to pray with people and lay hands on people. And we just ask wherever we're at and we get on our knees and confess and repent. Be with us, Lord, and lead us for the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.